Welcome to the Cup and Saucy Book Club. I'm Jen. And I'm Zana. What's in your cup today, Zana? My son just returned from Hawaii where he gave a presentation on the physics research he did this summer. Have I mentioned that my kid is a genius? Yeah, but he is. (laughs) Well, smart guy that he is, he knew to get some Kona coffee for his dad and tea for his mom. And so he picked up a passion fruit iced tea from the tea chest Hawaii, which I brewed a couple of days ago, and it's so good. One bag makes a gallon. We're almost out of the first batch. He wanted me to make it sweet, so I added a southern sweet tea amount of sugar. It was too much. Yeah. I think the next batch will be at least (laughs) half as sweet and probably still too sweet. But it is still so delicious. It's not quite as good as getting to go to Hawaii with him, but it is evocative of the island. So good. How about you? I've had some pineapple tea from them. Uh, They're a great company. Well... Speaking of other people in our family traveling, mm-hmm. my my brother-in-law and his wife were in were in Nepal, mm. and they brought me back a Kashmir uh, masala chai, and mm. they even gave me like pictures of the market stall that they bought it from. So oh, it's not Zana's cup and saucy chai blend, but it's it's really quite delicious, and and it's surprisingly as authentic it, as it is. I was expecting it to be like have more of a bite, but it's actually kind sure. of earthy rather than, hmm. you know, spicy, spicy. Sounds so, amazing. But it's really delicious. Yeah. You'll have to save me some of that. Yeah, I will. Um, I actually have a bit more of that than, than I have of your chai blend, so <laughs> I won't be hoarding it as much. <laughs> yeah, I need to get to reblending that chai. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's our goal for this for this year is to get Xana to, to make more right. of that chai. For sure. I will work on it this year. And we are delighted to introduce our guest today. M.K. Blackwood is a versatile storyteller who brings years of acting experience to create fully embodied performances behind the mic. As an actor, she received her formal training from Emerson College. Ooh, very nice. And performed with numerous theater companies in Los Angeles for years before branching out into audiobook narration. She's known for her emotional vulnerability and for disappearing into the characters that she plays. And MK is her romance pseudonym, but you may recognize her voice in some of her other favorite genres. She's also done horror, thriller, fantasy, and YA. MK and I met at Love and Devotion in Ontario, California about six months ago, and I want to welcome her to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So we met through a mutual friend of all of ours and a very good friend of the show, Shiloh James. Yeah, she's the best. Mm -hmm. And how long have you known Shiloh? I've known Shiloh, you know what? I want to say maybe a year. Okay. We did, I met her doing a romance narration class. Okay. There's a great group, Narrator.life, that has some amazing coaches and Uh open workshops that they do. And she and I met doing the romance workshop that they had and found out we kind of lived near each other. We're both in Southern California area. So we've been able to meet up a couple times, grab coffee, and we've become pretty good friends, actually. So I want to say it's been about a year. I think. Nice. And we've actually talked to Ron Butler, who is is a faculty at, that will be in an upcoming episode. His episode is coming up soon. 
Yeah, his I episode adore is him. And yeah, he I was... took one of his classes too. Oh, yeah. how is he as a teacher? He's fantastic. He's so passionate. He seems like he would he be. Has, yeah. He yeah, he has a really great ear yeah. for each individual, what they're doing, what he's hearing. I did like a, a YA workshop with him. Uh-huh. And it was fantastic. Oh, he's beautiful. a wonderful person. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. yeah, he really is. And that whole uh, creative venture—I mean, the the narrators that are the faculty of that—is sure. just a who's who of audiobook narration. And so, what a great training ground for the both of you! Oh my gosh, I am like addicted to their workshops. Honestly, I think I've done four, and. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, whatever point you're at in your journey as a performer, it's always nice to take a class, learn from other people. Right. And then go back and revisit, you know, something new because whatever point you're at, there's some new thing that you want to be working on. And each of their faculty are so different. Yeah. And they have unique strengths that it is so fun to kind of bounce around and work with the different coaches I, I get so much out of their workshops. I love them. When I was researching for our episode with Ron, I looked into it and I was just like, I want to take these classes. Right. I mean, they sound Honestly, so fascinating. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. And so what was it that drew you into audiobooks in the first place? Well, I I think I have probably a similar story to a lot of actors. I began narrating during the pandemic. Right. I'd been performing in theaters for years, and right before everything shut down, I was doing mostly immersive horror theater, which Uh is very specific. When you're living in L.A. or New York, a lot of people kind of know what that is, but I quickly have realized it's not taking off yet in a lot of other places. (laughs) So people are like, what the heck are you talking about? But it's very interactive. And of course, during the pandemic, all theater had to shut down completely. And it was shut down long after film was allowed to start up again. So I have a book club and we were meeting on Zoom. And I think I said something like, yeah, I mean, books were getting us through the pandemic. Uh Honestly, we met every month religiously. We felt like it was the only lifeline we had to the arts at the time, even though we were just reading. And I think I said something like, oh, I wish I could just get paid to read books. And my friends were like, you're an idiot. (laughs) You can. That's a job. That's a whole job. (laughs) That's literally a job. And I don't know why it never occurred to me that that was something I could pursue as a performer. Uh But then once, you know, that door opened for me and I started looking into it, I very quickly fell in love with it. Mm. And I think something that immersive theater prepared me for in a weird way is I was already used to being in sort of fantastical, strange, because it was horror theater, Mm -hmm. very strange circumstances and Uh playing a lot of different characters and embodying them and switching between them. And so once I started narrating and I was like, oh my gosh, I get to be in the world. It's weirdly closer to immersive theater Hmm. than I think Uh a lot of other types of acting are because it's much more intimate. You're much more immersed in the story. Sure. And 
I mean, being able to play multiple characters. Yeah. I'm kind of a psycho. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love talking to myself. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I honestly have been very, very lucky to stay as booked as I have, that I haven't really had time to return to theater since it has started up again. Hmm. Um, but I would love to go mm -hmm. back to that someday. Sure. But, but yeah, that was kind of, that was my entry point. Now, as I understand immersive theater, also being in California, that just yes, further you know. north from you. For those who don't know what immersive theater is, I think the easiest gateway, although it's not exactly this, is a Renaissance fair. So mm -hmm. if you've ever gone to a Renaissance fair, you have, you know, the, the characters are around, they're, they're all over, they're interacting with you, they're and you are in the audience, but on the stage at the same time, because the stage is everywhere you go. And yes. would you say that that's a accurate depiction of it? It is. And I don't think I ever would have thought to compare the two, but it is a very good picture that you've illustrated. Uh -huh. Because I think immersive also has become a little bit of a buzzword. Right. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different ways that people are producing immersive work mm -hmm. but a lot of the things that I would do it also it feels sort of like you're in a video game so okay. the work that I would do it's very interactive the audience is a character and mm -hmm. when you go through the show there's lights and sound and sometimes stunts and all kinds of scenes that are happening it's very theatrical it's not like a haunted house which it gets compared to sometimes people aren't just popping out and then right you move on right. yeah no there's very much a complex story that you're a part of sure and it's really beautiful it's something that I feel like was a gift to me as a performer to be able to watch how story impacts people in mm -hmm. real time to see how the audience is feeling yeah, and mm -hmm. reacting to the story and you know you can improvise and you can pivot and some try some different things to kind of gently guide them along through the narrative but it is rewarding and both fascinating to see people experience real emotion mm -hmm. while they are going through these shows that's awesome it's wild there is a heavy improv element because you don't mm -hmm. know how the, the audience is going to react, and every audience is right. going to be different with every performance. Right. Another another thing that uh, my family does, my husband just uh, finished doing when this episode comes out, is the Great Dickens Christmas Fair, which is... Ooh. Have you heard of it? <laughs> you know, I haven't, but everything, those words strung oh, together, I'm picturing good. <laughs> it already. It's all of those words. It's all, it's yes. all good. All of that. Please tell me more. Yes. And so what it is, is that you are, you step into the London of Charles Dickens, mid-century, mid-19th century Victorian uh, London, and you interact with all of Dickens' characters from his books mm. throughout the space that they have. You also get to see the story of A Christmas Carol that mm. is told throughout you know, throughout the space. So you can dance in Fezziwig's warehouse. You can, oh uh, you can follow Scrooge around with each of the ghosts. Uh, you can see the Cratchits in the street, you know, all of those sorts of things. But you're also 
So you're also seeing see. the Sonder stories of all of this? Yeah. You can see the life stories of the people in the background? Right. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, In addition, there's also this, you know, quasi real life element because Charles Dickens is there. His family is there. Oh, wow. You know, his literary companions of the time were there. Contemporaries. You get this whole mix of, Mm -hmm. and everybody interacts with everyone. So even Mm. whether you're a fictional character or you're a real life person, then you get to you get to interact with each other and with the audience as they're going around. So, yeah, it's a really... So it's more like a free-roaming kind of place where you get to decide where you want to go and spend your time yes. versus walking through mm-hmm. and being guided through it. Yes. That's very cool. I like that. So if you you know want to follow the story, you, know, you can uh, follow them through, but there's also like one stage where they do like... And the scene in in uh, Scrooge and Marley, or you know the each of those like important pivotal scenes within the within the book would take place on this stage, but you would also get to wander around with Scrooge and a ghost and um, and That's watch really the redemption cool. arc. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds because mm-hmm. one show that I've always wanted to go see but I haven't been to New York in years, is Sleep No More. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I have heard of it. But yes, to to explain, to, explain to is Diana because I know she hasn't. I'm trying to remember what Shakespeare it's based off of, if it's Macbeth or... I believe it is. I think it is. I'm yeah, hitting the it, Googles now. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. Oh, were you looking it up, Zana? I am. <laughs> so what's interesting about Sleep No More It's Macbeth, is, yeah. yeah. Primarily Macbeth. based on okay. Macbeth. So the audience all have to wear, I think it's white or a mask so that you can differentiate between who is an audience member and who is an actor. Oh, wow. And it's all free roaming. Yeah. So you can go wherever you want. You can follow whatever character you want to follow. And what's interesting about that is people will go multiple times because they're like, well, I followed this one character last time. Yeah. I'm going to go in a completely different place and witness something different. And it's kind of bloody. It's kind of intense. Like you get oh, a little dirty Macbeth, and yeah. messy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The Scottish play. The right. Scottish the Scottish play. play. Well, we're not in a theater. We're no, okay. We're not that's in the theater. We're, we're just okay. in our Well, we have a virtual studio. That's true. I guess that's, that's true. not yeah. quite the same as a theater. <laughs> They won't come for us. But but yeah, it sounds sort of like this Dickens thing that you're describing is a little bit mm-hmm. free roaming. But in Sleep No More, they're not interacting with you. You're very much a fly on the wall witnessing everything that's happening. But that, in a way, is a fascinating thing, too, as a bystander. Yeah. And you can see other audience watching. And the sad news yeah. is that in just a few weeks, it will be closing after 13 years. Oh, that is sad. January 28th of this year. Yeah. That is so sad. I really hoped it was going to come to L.A. at some point. Well, it's yeah. leaving the McKittrick Hotel in Chelsea, which is where it is now. Right. Right. Maybe right. they'll take it on the road. We don't know. We don't know. I, we can only hope. We can yeah, hope. We can only hope. I definitely hope so. That would be that would be wonderful yeah. to see because I yeah, I have I have heard about it just as a, a fan of that kind of of that kind of theater. Yeah. And then but I have never had the opportunity to actually see it. Yeah. Taking it then into back into our booths in the in an audiobook space, you get to go 
dive right into I get to go all out yeah. whatever yeah. world that you want yeah and I think I always have that understanding in the back of my mind that this story will have an impact that people mm-hmm. will feel things and oh, so yeah. I'm very aware of trying to curate that and make sure that I'm leading people in the direction that I want them to go in that serves the story. So it's not just, you know, all about me up here emoting, being an actor, showing people my chops. It's Mm -hmm. what does the story call for in this moment? Am I opening the floodgates here or am I pulling back? What's, you know, so I think having to improvise in an immersive environment you have to be aware of what part of the story you're in and what part you play in it in order to, you know, stay true to the moment and what what the narrative calls for. So I think that's always in the back of my mind when I'm when I'm narrating audiobooks is just what is happening in the story and what does it call for and it's fun. I feel like a master puppeteer <laughs> of myself, which is bizarre. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So is that then help you more to be a solo narrator so you control the entirety of that? Or is it is it more fun for you to play off a multicast, say, where you all get to, you know, play and, and, yeah. and be puppeteers and... I think that's a great question. I think that they call upon different um, skills in a way. Mm -hmm. I think that what I love about solo narration is I can be that master puppeteer and I can go, I I can have complete control Mm -hmm. over the storytelling that I'm doing, which I really do enjoy. But then when you get to work with other people, especially if you have the opportunity to listen to what they've done or narrate live with them which I have not yet had the opportunity to do and I would love to yeah that's rare yeah that seems to be a very rare thing oh my gosh what a treat yeah that I think would sort of take me back to more traditional Mm -hmm. storytelling and acting that I did on stage where you just get to react to a person and you know as a reader that's one of my gripes sometimes about duet and multicast is that I don't always feel like people are matching the tone correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, sure. and it's really hard to do that because we're not always in the same place. We're not always able to listen to what each other does. And so if I had a preference, I like to either be the solo narrator or in a perfect world, <laughs> have some sort of interaction with right? the people that I'm working with so that we're really matching each other's tone and arriving at the moment together in a way that that feels like it clicks yeah. you know yeah and i think too is uh, i mean you have 16 titles so far is that the correct number so i actually between this name and my other name i'm working on my 56th oh, oh wow so okay i'm i'm new but i have two identities so they kind right. of Yes. Combine the combined power of both. <laughs> I'm, I've gone surpassed 50. Okay, <laughs> well, nice. congratulations on surpassing Thank 50. You. But 16 titles in the romance space under MK. Yes. And that will, I think, lend itself to more opportunities for you to, you know, be able to try all of the different combinations. 
Uh, yeah. You did have, there was a multicast. This is actually a who's who of up and coming narrators. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it's Marcio Catalano, Angelina Rocca, Dane mm-hmm. Anderson, Vivian LaRue, Shiloh James, and MK Blackwood, which nice. that's a group. And yeah, that, that was nice really group. fun. That that is yep. but I noticed in in doing research on this that your I don't often read the audible reviews. Um, yeah. because I always feel like I wanna come at the audiobook fresh and not have someone else's perspective on it. I mean, it's right. one thing to get a recommendation from a friend. Also, the comments are often a place you do not want to go. Yeah. I mean, they can yeah. be all over the place. They can be all yeah. over the place. God. You have to use your thinking cap with those. Yeah. <laughs> comments anywhere, especially where there's some degree of anonymity, are crazy making. Yeah. True. But yeah. in this, I mean, it's one thing to get a recommendation from a friend, you know, that, that knows you and has, and has a sense of your taste. Right. But... In reading some of the Audible comments, I noticed where the most in-depth and impactful positive reviews came was from your solo narrations, which speaks Mm. very well to what, you know, what you were trying to do, as you said, to be the master puppeteer and guiding the story. So that was that was really um, a nice surprise, a nice surprise to see. Thank you. I don't know that I I really thought about it that way. And, and, you know, that makes me happy because I know, especially in the romance genre, it can be challenging to convince people to go along with my male characters. (laughs) But the emotion is always there, I hope, and that the character comes through. Because solo narration is generally tricky in the romance space because you really have to be, as you said, you know, you have to be able to handle the different genders, handle, you know, all of that that is that is happening. And because we are seeing so many more dual and duet multicast mm-hmm. narrations, it's then the solo ones really have to stand out. Um, yeah, so. it's challenging. And I know I'm not for everyone. And, and that's 100% okay. Everything Which is no so subjective. And yeah, and I think that you know, there are folks out there who really enjoy a specific sounding voice, whether it's, I know that growly men are a very popular thing sure. <laughs> right now. <laughs> sure. I can't, I've, I can growl a little bit, but it's not going to be necessarily what everybody wants. So I think that it's tough. It's kind of, it's a little bit tricky sometimes being a femme narrator mm-hmm. these days in the solo space, like you said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but we do we do support the the femme narrators because they are oh, for sure. And the ones that are the most popular are the ones that are really just they've been putting in the work, you know, and mm-hmm. and you're putting in the work and it needs to be acknowledged more often because you're you're, yeah. you're actually working harder than the guys are. So, yeah, sometimes times... it feels that way. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to the guys at all, but a lot of them can be no, just... We no, we like them. We love them. Good girl. <clears throat> I know. And everybody starts with the, oh my God, swoon. they're so awesome. I love them. La spoon. <laughs> you know, I have a funny story this just made me think of. I did a show years ago. I don't even know how long ago it was. 
I think this was the first time I had an experience of like, oh, reviewers don't always focus on what you think they're going to focus on. And we had a, it was a show that took place in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it was very like gothic, spooky, weird kind of historical drama. And there was one actress, God love her, who up until even closing night, she had no idea what her lines were. She did not know when she was supposed to be on stage. Oh, dear. And she would appear in the show while we were performing in front of an audience. She would just appear on stage. And you would be like, hi. Hi, what are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) Why are you here? And she would be like, did you need something? And we always had these very bizarre, we never knew when she was going to show up. Reviewers loved her. Wow. That's all they could talk about. And the irony was she that wasn't the character she was playing. She was supposed to be this very stern. Wow. Yeah, very stern, head of the household, you know, running a tight ship, in and out, buzzing around, knows everything that's going on. But I don't know, and you know, she was a little bit I don't know if what she was going through, but she just had no idea what was going on. And she got rave reviews because people were like, what a comedic relief. (laughs) We loved what she was doing. The aloof maid who had no idea where she was supposed to be. You never know what's going to resonate with people. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, that was a realization for me of, you know, once it's out there, you have no control over how people receive it. That's true. You just have to do your work, be happy with it. Have a good time. Your part of the art is done, and the part of the art that's the consuming, well, that's a different part. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and if that's what they loved, great. They had a good experience. They enjoyed the art that they consumed. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they highlighted what you thought, it's fine. But that was a time where I was like, interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is very strange. I was looking through some of the blog post that you made on your website and we oh, always yeah. love to talk when we're speaking to narrators about their their process their kinds of things that trip them up or or their favorites or the things that they most love to do if they have rituals in the booth and you mentioned something about using a vibrator in your booth can oh, you tell yeah. us what that is exactly? Because <laughs> yes. it's not what you think. <laughs> this is not something we're going to have to cut, is it? No. No, no it is not. No. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? I can't take credit for this idea. I actually watched a video Bridget Bordeaux made mm, about this. Of course it was Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I was like, now that's something I haven't heard of. There's a technique that she mentioned uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It has something to do with using vibration Hmm. as a way to relax the small muscles in your neck and sort of relieve tension, but also simultaneously warm up your voice. Okay. I get a lot of tension in my neck. And it's one of the things as a narrator that I'm, especially when you're in a confined space, Right. It's sort of like, you know, when you're trying to sleep at night and your cat is laying on you and you wake up with back pain because <laughs> yes, you I needed to move, but cat. you couldn't. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Exactly. So I feel like that can happen sometimes with narration because you can't move. Mm-hmm. Even if you had the space, 
too much Mm -hmm. or it becomes kind of noisy. Right. So I feel like for me personally, I just get all this kinetic energy that's building up in my body and I have to contain it somehow. And it results in some tension that I'll get in my neck and my shoulders, Mm -hmm. which then affects your voice. Anytime mm-hmm. you have tension in your voice. Oh, yeah. You, you can hear it for sure. are straining. You can hear it. I it's don't just know what you're good. talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's real rough. So I started using, I got this little handheld massager mm-hmm. off Amazon. And um, Personal I don't massage put device. It, what, that's what they're called, which is right. kind of hilarious. Yes. And this one <laughs> definitely seems like it's actually for massage because it is very scary (laughs) it's like almost like too much but I will use Mm -hmm. it on my neck muscles and my shoulder and Mm -hmm. I do that as well as gargling water in my booth Mm -hmm. when I start to get a little bit of vocal fatigue and I know okay I might have a little bit of tension cropping in or uh, my voice just needs like a little refresh Mm -hmm. I will use that especially after as sort of a cool down to just relax those muscles. And I think that a big game changer for me was once I started incorporating a cool down and rest, I was able to narrate again later Mm -hmm. in the day. Okay. But if I don't do that and I don't relax my body and stretch and massage and then just completely rest my voice for like Mm -hmm. one to two hours, then, you know, I, I don't have that longevity. To keep going every day, day after day for, you know, the number of hours that we have to do. And I even have a little vocal fatigue this morning. So I was narrating till like 2 a.m. last night. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Burning the midnight oil. But it's all right. You know, we get it done. Yeah. We'll rest. But it really is. I mean, the vocal cords and the neck that has to support it, it's all it's all muscles. So you're doing Mm -hmm. a workout. Mm-hmm. You are. It's it's a vocal workout, sure, but but just like with any, you know, workout where you're working out your hamstrings or your, uh, you know, your glutes or your quads or your pecs or whatever, mm-hmm. you've got to you know warm them up and then you have to cool it down at the end. Otherwise, you you're going to gonna be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be in trouble permanently, potentially. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If you don't give your body time to heal and recover, yeah. Right. Oh, that makes sense. Been, I've been uh, reading recently about uh, somatic stretching, mm. which is a way to it, you get into these poses and postures and and it releases the tension in, in parts of your body. So it sounds like it's a similar it's a, a yeah. similar thing for your voice that, you know, gets because I carry like all of us carry stress in a particular place in our body and we know where it is because mm-hmm. you know suddenly we're having to stretch that part in the middle of the day for reasons that you know are completely unknown we haven't been working or whatever and mine is like right at the back of my neck mm. and if i don't then it you know tenses you up it makes you hunch it it doesn't settle it. So this is, that's actually a wonderful, a wonderful technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I suffered through a couple of bouts of laryngitis last year while oh, we were no. traveling. So oh, yeah. um, that's a, that's something I'm going to have to incorporate into the repertoire. Yeah, there because... were a few times where we were at book events where she sounded, well, 
very growly. Yeah. Oh, a growl. Uh, I, I could have. Good I, girl. I, I did. I did my best male narrator impersonations, and I and just talking. Yeah, it was very just impressive. Talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was quite deep. And yeah, that's another thing that, like, when I'm doing solo narration and I have the ability to go back. Sometimes I'll use a dog clicker, which a lot of people use mm-hmm. for duet narration. Yes. And when you click it, that's where the male dialogue goes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll just do that for myself. Mm-hmm. If I'm having a day where my main narration voice is sounding great, but my range is a little bit lacking, mm-hmm. or if it's an accent, I'm doing a book under my other name right now with 160 characters. Oh my gosh. And there's about fantasy, four right? different accents. <laughs> yep, fantasy. <laughs> and so... I was like, you know what? I think I'll be better off if I use a clicker for yeah. all the Scottish accents. Oh, that's and then a great when idea. I go back, yeah. I'll yeah. just be in that linguistic dialect. And so I can do all the characters oh, yeah, more easily. Yeah, that is a great idea. Yeah, it's a little trick. I don't know if other people do that, <clears throat> but it's worked really well for me. We've uh, we've heard of it for, yeah, for, um, you know, duet narrations and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but not. But if for, you're duetting yourself, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, but not for a solo. That's, right? that's a wonderful trick. See, I think, Zana, that, you know, we we talk to almost as many new narrators as we do to those who are more seasoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that we get the best tips from the new ones, frankly. I know, right? Because <laughs> we're really we're willing to reveal it all. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and you're also working through your processes and why not? Yeah, share the definitely. Knowledge? Yeah. And knowledge is power. It really is. I think that unlike in an acting space where you are competing with you know so many who have a similar look or you know a similar Mm -hmm. resume or whatever that every because everyone's voice is different and there are so many stories that are being told and being written that that there's enough I hope enough work for everyone to go around it's just a matter of finding the right voice that fits the right story it is I had a coach that I worked with this whole past year who said because she casts things sometimes and she said you know Mm. I'm not casting a voice I'm casting a mind Mm -hmm. and that always stuck with me oh I love that and I loved that because what when you do audiobook narration it's it's voice acting Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. but it's really more you interpreting the story. Yeah. And so when you're a voice actor and you get paid to, you know, be one character or well, actually voice actors or often play a lot of characters, right? Characters. Yeah. <laughs> but you have sort of a singular focus in the scene. So you get to record, you know, your lines in the scene as that character. But when you're narrating, you have to have an awareness of the entire story. Mm-hmm. And all of the characters, motivations, everything that's happening, And again, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier with storytelling, where you need to be aware of what moment in the story you're at Mm -hmm. and how far are you leaning into the emotion? Are you pulling back? You know, is this the climax, everything that's happening? And I think that if you just cast based on a voice, which we know does happen, and those books Mm -hmm. are still enjoyed by many, many people. Right. But if you're just casting based on a voice, you can't know how they're going to interpret everything. 
what turns they're going to find. And that is purely something based on people's life experiences. And that's why I don't feel like there's really, like you said, the same competition. Yeah. Because my interpretation of this is going to be completely different than someone else who even looks and sounds just like me. Yeah. Just because I have lived, a, you know, my own my own experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why you can get, there's also not the age limits that are placed yes. upon actors that you see on screen, you know, so you've got. Mm-hmm. Or gender. Or gender. Right. For that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's not, yeah, so you could be, you could be anyone behind that yeah. microphone, but as long as you are as long as you can be anyone, you can tell the stories. Right. And that goes to, you know, speaking broadly about representation, too, mm-hmm. and making sure even if we think we can be, like you said, anyone, should we? Is this my story right. that exactly. I should tell? Exactly. And I'm very aware of that. And some things, it shouldn't be you that's telling the story. Yeah. Somebody else would be a better choice because of their experiences and how they can relate to the story. And I think that that's a tricky thing. It is. As an actor to feel like, you know, the more people that I'm meeting in the industry and trying to put myself out there and get on different rosters, there's often questionnaires that you'll be sent with opportunities for you to share about yourself so that they can find authentic voices to represent the stories that they're telling. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of an identity crisis there for a while because I don't share a lot mm-hmm. of personal things about myself. Because as an actor, sure. you think, well, I can just be the character. I can be whoever you want me to be. Who do you want me to be today? That's who right, I am. Right. And when you go to auditions, you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to dress like, walk in and talk like the character so that they don't have to use their imagination and they can just see me. Mm-hmm. And I'm the character. But... It's, especially in this kind of storytelling, because you're having to interpret and use your life experiences to shape the story in a way, it really helps if you have some sort of connection to the text. Mm -hmm. And the only way that these casting people and authors and producers can know if you have that connection is if you're willing to share parts of yourself, which is very vulnerable. Right, it is. But... But ultimately, I think it serves the story better to know, for the author at least, that it's, you know, in good hands. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so to your romance titles under M.K. Blackwood, uh, what do you have coming up? I am really excited. I have, so I'm working on a series with the author D.L. Lane. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have a couple of titles with D.L. Lane. Yeah, yeah. we've done... I think I've done two books in the series. It's going to be, I don't even know how many. She's got so many stories in her head. Each book sort of focuses on a different couple. Mm -hmm. And we were nominated for two Sultry Listener Awards for two of the books in the series, which is really cool. (laughs) So I've been waiting anxiously for her to write the next book in the series, which is done. So I'm going to be doing that in the new year. And I have a bunch of projects lined up that I can't talk about. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and I feel like fair. that in and of itself is a milestone. <laughs> that That's I've exciting, hit. though. Yeah. So, yes, You're by the so time excited, this but I can't comes tell out. Anybody. 
I know. But this is by the time this comes out, I will probably be able to share more. But I have some. I'm doing some dual and duet narrations with co-narrators who, one whom I haven't worked with yet that I'm very excited to work with, and another who I think I have worked with under my other name. Okay. (laughs) Because when we were cast, they said, oh, I think you've worked with this person before. And I was like, gosh, I don't think so. But then when I listened to his voice, I was like, oh, I know exactly who that is. And yes, we have worked together. (laughs) So I'm excited to sort of um, work with him again in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm i very lucky. I'm booked up four to six months in advance, nice. which is a gift yeah. that I'm very grateful it's for. Wonderful. And on the romance side, a lot of the projects that I have lined up next year are with new production companies that I haven't worked with before. So oh, wonderful. Can't talk about it yet, but I feel very, very, very grateful for that. Oh, that's so, nice. Yeah. And so are you, do you have time given, given that you've uh, got all of this, all of these projects coming up and congratulations on the work? Yeah. Thank you. Given that, do you have any time? Are you attending any book events uh, this year? Uh, for no, I think I will be. Yeah. So at the moment, so next year, the only event that I'm definitely confirmed for is the Dark Star Con. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I'm going to do potentially Love and Devotion again. Yeah, which will and be then, in San Diego this year. Yes, yes. which will, will be nice and close for me, which is great. Um, and then I'm hoping to attend the Audis. So it's oh, nice. not exactly a book con or anything like that, but I'm hoping to oh, yeah, maybe meet some other narrators. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, anything that's local-ish oh, for sure. yeah. is much easier for me to for attend. Sure. Yeah, and um, the audience happened in like... LA. Uh, yes. So yes, um, very exciting. But I, I would have, I would have loved to have driven down for those myself. But that's on a Monday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a little oh. hard to mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Pull off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's but, in March, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, I that's think in so, March. Yeah. Yes. This has been just so great chatting with you yeah. and learning learning all of the things that we learned today i mean i took notes zana i don't know about you oh, i i feel yeah. like we have a lot in common actually which was yes. really cool yeah yeah and and i felt like that when we met too um so mm-hmm. thanks shiloh this was a great introduction because <laughs> i know she's listening yes and, yeah and we love you shiloh we love you shiloh <laughs> <laughs> She's really good about bringing people together. Yes, she is. But um, it was wonderful to talk to you, MK. And yeah. uh, Likewise. we're looking forward it's been super to fun. listening to what you have coming up uh, very soon. Thank you so much. This was really fun, and I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, oh, thank thank you. you. And links to MK's social media, as well as everything that we talked about today, can be found in the show notes for this episode on our website, cupandsaucybooks.com Follow us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe if you like what you're hearing and leave us a review. We're on Instagram and TikTok as at cupandsaucybooks. Join us next week for another chat with a special guest from the world of books. And probably tangents. Happy reading. Cheers. Cheers.